Hey, good morning. Merry Christmas, everybody. I am so excited that you're here to help us celebrate the birth of Jesus. We are in the third week of our series called Home. And every week of this series, we're looking at one basic truth. And here it is. We will never find our true home until we find ourselves in the presence of God. And that's why Christmas is such good news. Jesus came into this world to bring us home. So that's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about what it means to come home to God and be reunited with him. We're talking about a homecoming. You know, as we look around the world, we see lots of different homecomings, don't we? One example would be a college student coming home for Christmas after finals week. Once upon a time, I was that college student, and man, it was so good to be back with my family again. Another great example is when a soldier comes home after a deployment. You've probably seen those videos where the soldier comes back and surprises the family, and everybody's hugging and crying, and all of a sudden, you're crying a little bit too, aren't you? And it's okay. Those videos get to me as well. The other day, I watched one where a soldier came home and his dog got so excited. And I don't mind saying I teared up just a little. And you would have been right there with me. It was emotional. But you know, the best example of a homecoming is greater than anything we could find in this world. And it goes like this. At one point or another, all of us ran away from God. We sinned against him. We severed our relationship with him. But God loved us too much to let that separation become permanent. So Jesus came looking for us. He came into this world and he made a way for us to come home. And Christmas is the moment when Jesus came looking for us. The Bible tells this story in two places, the book of Matthew and the book of Luke. And I want to read where Matthew tells Joseph's part of the Christmas story. In chapter 1, verse 20, Matthew says, An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, I don't want to go through every detail in these verses. I want to think about those two names. First, the angel tells Joseph to call this baby Jesus. And the name Jesus means the Lord saves. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to save us from the penalty that we deserve because of our sins. But there's a second name here, isn't there? Matthew quotes this old prophet named Isaiah. 700 years earlier, Isaiah said that one day when the Messiah comes, he will be called Emmanuel or God with us. Now, if you've been around church for a while, you've probably heard that phrase, God with us. But you know, it's very easy for us to skip past that phrase and and, and not really realize how amazing this is. Do we know what it's like for God to be with us? Do we know what it's like to, to be reunited with him after a long period of separation? 
I was looking for a way to help us understand this idea, and I ran across a story that's been in the news recently. I want to show you a picture. The little girl in this picture that I want to show you, her name is Lee Small. She's there on the left. Lee was the child of an American soldier and a Vietnamese woman. The woman was named Nguyen Thai Dep. In 1975, during the Vietnam War, Lee was just three years old, and right before the city of Saigon was captured, Lee's mother dropped her off at an orphanage because she was afraid that her daughter would be killed by communists. Lee was one of 3,000 children evacuated from Vietnam. That evacuation was called Operation Baby Lift. So Lee was adopted by an American family in New Jersey And her Vietnamese mother completely lost track of her. Then, just a few years ago, Lee took a DNA test. And she posted the results up on Ancestry.com. And then a few years after that, Lee received an email from a half-sister that she never knew existed. And this half-sister said, your Vietnamese mother has been looking for you. You see, back in 1975... After Nguyen Thai Depp dropped off her three-year-old daughter at that orphanage, she had second thoughts. She turned around and went back to that orphanage to get her daughter. She was too late. Lee was gone. Now, Nguyen was aware that her daughter had been taken to the U.S., but she had no idea where in the country she was. So she spent the next four decades searching. And finally, after Lee got that email, she reached out to Nguyen And then, just a few weeks ago, back in November, Lee made a trip to Vietnam for a homecoming that was 44 years in the making. I have a picture of the moment when Lee and Nguyen embraced. Can you imagine how that felt? Can you imagine the flood of emotions for this daughter to be held by her mother and for the mother to hold her daughter after so long? Nguyen said, I would have looked for her until I die. And fortunately, it didn't come to that. Nguyen got to be with her daughter once again. And man, it is a powerful thing to be with someone you love. It's a powerful thing to experience that kind of homecoming. Now, you may hear that story and say, yeah, I get it. A reunion like that would be completely overwhelming. But do you understand that God wants to experience that kind of homecoming with you? Do you know that he longs for you to be with him? Because it's true. This is why Christmas matters. Jesus made a home with us so that we could make a home with him. I want to spend some time thinking through this today, and I'm praying that all of us will leave here of a better understanding of Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us. And with that goal in mind, Uh, I want to shift gears and ask you a question. We're in the middle of the holiday season right now, and I want to ask you a holiday question. Are you ready? Here it is. What are the three most important holidays for Christians? You don't have to answer this out loud, but I do want you to think of a response. And the first one has to be pretty obvious. It's just three days away. It's Christmas, right? That one has to be on the list. But then what are the other two answers? Well, if you ask me, I believe the other holidays have to be Good Friday and Easter. And here's why. These three holidays 
we, we, on these three holidays, we celebrate the three most significant events of, of all of history. Now, these three events are the incarnation of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. And let's make sure we're all clear about the meaning of these three words. The incarnation is when God became a man in the form of Jesus. This is baby Jesus in the manger. This is the moment when God came to be with us. But the truth is, the incarnation was only the beginning. Bethlehem was the first step of a journey to the cross. And the crucifixion was the center point of Jesus' mission to save us. It was on the cross that he paid the price for our sins. If he hadn't done that, you and I would still be on the hook. We would have no choice but to pay the penalty of eternal death. But his sacrifice gave us the chance to be forgiven. And God invites everyone everywhere to receive this gift of salvation through a life-changing relationship with Jesus. But the resurrection is also a vital part of this story. The resurrection is when Jesus proved his identity by rising from the dead. If Jesus never left the grave, then we'd have no reason to believe he is who the Bible says he is. So there's no question about it. For any follower of Jesus, these are the three most significant events in history. But guess what? These three events are also some of the hardest things to believe in all of Christianity. When somebody has doubts about the Christian faith, they're probably struggling or getting hung up on at least one of these beliefs. In fact, some of you may struggle with this very thing. And if so, I just want to say, it is 100% okay to bring your questions to God. Bring your questions to church. God can handle our questions. But if you are someone with doubts, I want to challenge you. I challenge you to stop for just a moment and doubt your doubts. I hear people say that the Bible isn't true, that there is no God, and that the universe is just here by chance. And I've had to think through that possibility myself. But over time, I keep coming back to the same questions. For example, is it really believable that this whole universe is just a big mistake? Is it a mistake that this world is full of beauty and color? Is it a mistake that we have eyes that are able to see that beauty and we have minds that are able to appreciate it? Is it just a mistake that you and I have the ability to love and be loved? Or what about the fact that we all have this longing for something that can't be found in this world? Is that a mistake too? I have to say no. These things tell me that we're not here by accident. There is a creator behind all of this. And if there is a creator, a God who made us, then he must know us and see us. And it makes sense to me that God put this restless longing inside of us because he created us to know him and love him and have a relationship with him. He gave us this hunger to be with him. There's a famous quote, from a Christian writer named C.S. Lewis, and he said, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Humans feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. And then listen to this next part. Lewis says, 
If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You see, the clues are there. God gave us this longing and hunger because he wants a relationship with us. He means for us to be with him in his presence forever, where where that longing is satisfied for all of eternity. That's what this series is about. Remember what we said. The, The true definition of home is to be in the presence of God. Everyone in the world is looking for God either consciously or unconsciously. And the truth is, there are lots of religions that will tell you how to find God. And so some people ask, how could it be that only one faith has the truth? Well, I'll tell you what I've found. I've looked at every major belief system, and I can't find anything that compares to the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. Outside of Christianity, no other faith was founded by someone who rose from the dead. Outside of Christianity, there is no Savior who laid down his life to pay for your sins. In every other belief system, including atheism, it's up to you to try to be good enough on your own. And sooner or later, we all discover that we're not able to be good enough. And then there's the incarnation. Outside of Christianity, There is no major faith that tells of a God who loved us enough to come into this world to be with us. You won't find that in Buddhism, in Hinduism, in Islam, or Judaism. You can look that up on Wikipedia or anywhere else. It's true. Now, you might say, where is the evidence to believe in the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection? Actually, there is a lot of evidence, and I'm happy to sit down with anyone who would like to look at that. But for the moment, just think about this. Why is it that Christianity is the only faith that provides the exact answers and solutions that we need? It's the only one. If you ask me, that's a strong indication that these ideas are not some human invention and that the story of Jesus is 100% true. Now, I realize so far, this may seem like a strange Christmas sermon, but it's important to lay down that foundation. And now we can jump back into the Christmas story. This time we'll go to Luke chapter 2. And as we read this, let's keep in mind what Jesus is doing. He's coming into this world to make it possible for us to experience a homecoming with God. So Luke 2, starting with verse 1, it says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now, we see a lot of things happening in that passage. There's a Roman emperor who has no idea that the one true God is about to enter this world. There's a little town called Bethlehem that's too busy and distracted to pay attention to the birth of Jesus. And then there's this young couple 
couple making a very inconvenient journey at a very inconvenient time. And do you see what Joseph is doing here? For him, this is kind of a homecoming, right? Because of that order from Caesar Augustus, Joseph goes back to his hometown. Now, we don't have a lot of details here. Does Joseph still have relatives living in Bethlehem? It doesn't seem like it, especially when we find out later that they can't find a room to stay in. And that's interesting, isn't it? Joseph went back to his hometown, but it sure didn't feel like home. And that's one more example that there is no such thing as a permanent home in this world. But let's keep reading. Verse 6 says, While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So there it is. Emmanuel has been born. God has come to be with us. Now, Luke doesn't say much about the incarnation here. So I want to jump over to another passage that describes this in a different way. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul summarizes the whole story of Jesus in just a few verses. And Paul says this in Philippians 2, starting with verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So where is Christmas in this passage? It's right there in verse 7, isn't it? Being made in human likeness. That's the incarnation. But then what was Jesus, where was Jesus before he became human? Well, we read that too, didn't we? Verse 6 says that he is in very nature God. Now, the original Greek word that's translated as nature here is the word morphe. And that word is talking about the very essence of something. Morphe is, is not just what you see. It's what a thing really is in nature and character. So in essence, Jesus is God. He's not just a regular man who was appointed by God. His status is equal to God. That's what this passage tells us. But this is one of the amazing things about Christmas. Even though Jesus is in very nature God, he chose this humiliating downgrade. He became a helpless human baby. He set aside his infinite power and infinite knowledge to become one of us. Now, obviously, it's impossible for us to understand what it was like for Jesus to experience the incarnation. But I did hear a story that may give us a new perspective. It's kind of a weird little story. It's about a grandfather who goes to visit his grandson one Christmas. The grandson is just a toddler, and his name is Jeffrey. And sometime during this visit, the grandfather walks into the family room, and there's little Jeffrey. He's standing up in his playpen, and he's crying. I mean, his, his face is red, and tears are running down his cheeks. But then this little guy sees his grandpa, and his face lights up. And he reaches up his arms, and he says, Out, Papa, out! Now, there is no way the grandfather could resist this request, so he walks over to the playpen, and he starts to reach down to lift Jeffrey up out of captivity. But right then, someone else walks into the room. It's Jeffrey's mom. 
pretty quickly, she sees what's going on. And she says, Jeffrey, you know that you're in trouble right now. You know that you're being punished. You stay right there. And then she says, Dad, don't pick him up. Then she walks out of the room. So now what's Grandpa supposed to do? Little Jeffrey's still crying, still reaching up. I mean, he doesn't want to leave his little buddy in the crib, but at the same time, he doesn't want to interfere with the mother's discipline. So, what's he going to do? He can't stand in the room and do nothing, but he also can't leave without feeling like a traitor. All of a sudden, he figures it out. (laughs) Grandpa decides to climb into the playpen with him. I guess that's one way to handle it. Now, when I first heard that story, I thought, yeah, that really is a good example, a good picture of what Jesus did for you and me. He came from heaven and he climbed into our playpen to be with us. Jesus became flesh. He made his dwelling among us all because he loves us. But like we said, Bethlehem was only the beginning. Paul continues this summary down in verse 8. He says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow. That's an amazing description, isn't it? We've gone way beyond Bethlehem here. Jesus grows up and he completes this very difficult mission. He lays down his life for you and me. He deserved worship and adoration. But what he got was an excruciating and humiliating death. However, that wasn't the end. Jesus is raised up in glory. He's exalted to the highest place. And one day... Sometime in the future, every knee will bow to Jesus. On that day, every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus really is the Lord of all. When I read Philippians chapter 2, I come away with a strong conviction. Our view of Jesus is not high enough. And I say that about all of us. Whether you're someone who does not yet believe in Jesus, or you're a brand new Christian, or you've been a Christian for decades. This is true for everyone. Our view of Jesus is not high enough. Try to imagine what you would experience if you were in the presence of Jesus right now. Not the baby Jesus. Not even the man who walked around Israel preaching and teaching and working miracles. I'm saying, what would it be like for us to be in the presence of the risen and glorified Jesus Christ, the one whose name is above every name. Whatever picture you have in your mind right now, the reality is better than that. Jesus is greater than that. And if you want to know what it would be like to meet this Jesus, read the book of Revelation. You may know that Revelation was written by the Apostle John. And John was one of Jesus' closest friends. He spent three years walking alongside Jesus, learning from him, growing to know him better and better. If anyone knew Jesus, it would have been John. But in Revelation, 
John describes an encounter with Jesus in his glorified form. And John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Now, what do you make of that? John did not run up and give his old friend a hug. He fell at his feet as though dead. And you know what? If we could see Jesus as he is right now, we would do the same thing. So let's not be too casual about this baby in the manger. You've heard that old Christmas carol, O Holy Night? There's a line in that song that says, fall on your knees. That Christmas carol gets it right. When you meet Jesus, you won't even think about it. You will instantly fall to your knees. But then what about that homecoming we've been talking about? When, when that happens, are we just going to be terrified? Maybe at first, yeah. Uh, but then if you've given your life to Jesus and your sins have been covered by his sacrifice, there will be no reason to fear. Look at the next verse in Revelation 1. John says, Then he placed his right hand on me and he said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. That is so powerful. In that moment, the perfect love of Jesus drove out John's fear. And speaking of fear, we're not quite done with that story back in Bethlehem. We need to look at the shepherds, and we need to pay attention to them because their story may be a lot like your story. So let's go back to Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 8. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now what's your reaction to that passage? Are you blown away by that story? Maybe not, because most of us have heard this so many times It's easy to yawn and say, yeah, I know about the shepherds. I've heard about the angels. But listen, if you had been standing in the field that night, I guarantee that you would have been just as terrified as those shepherds. You would not have been yawning. (laughs) But then what does the angel say to them? It's exactly what Jesus said to John in the book of Revelation. Do not be afraid. Yes, that event was terrifying, but it wasn't about fear. It was about love. Heaven came down to earth. Jesus was making a home with us so that we could make a home with him. So the shepherds get this supernatural visit, and what do they do next? Verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. 
When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The shepherds were not casual about their visit to the newborn baby. Based on their experience in the field with the angels, they knew this was a momentous event. They may not have understood all the ramifications, but they did know that the birth of Jesus was very good news. So they just had to run around and tell everybody what they had seen and heard. Now, I said the story of the shepherds may sound a lot like your story. And what do I mean by that? Well, let's think about what happened. Number one, the shepherds heard the good news about Jesus. Number two, they believed the good news and they came home to Jesus. They didn't just visit a baby. They they met their Savior. They met the one who would bring them home to God. Walking up to that manger was very much a homecoming for those shepherds because they walked into the presence of God. And then what's the third part of their story? The shepherds went out and shared the good news. So do you see it? God wants all of us to have a story that's just like the shepherds. And you can already mark number one off of that list because you've heard the good news just by being here today. And many of us have also taken that second step. We believed the good news and we came home to Jesus. And if you haven't done that, I hope you'll take that step as soon as possible, even today. But then there's that third part. God calls all of us to go out and share the good news of Jesus, to follow the example of the shepherds. For the past few weeks, we've been saying there's a very simple way to do that. You can invite someone to join you here at church. And listen, there is still time to invite someone to the Christmas Eve service. We all know someone who needs to be here, and this is a great time to reach out. If there's any season of the year when people are more likely to open themselves up to God, it's right now. Just the other day, I heard that 91% of people in the U.S. celebrate Christmas, no matter what their religious convictions are. And then 47% of all households attend a Christmas Eve service. It's almost half of all Americans. Then 63 to 67% say that a personal invitation from a friend would get them to attend a church. So between now and 4 p.m. on December 24th, we have an amazing opportunity. But before we're done here, I want to ask you, where do you find yourself this morning? Do you believe in the good news of Jesus? Do you believe that the incarnation and the crucifixion and the resurrection are true historical events? If you're struggling to believe, I encourage you to doubt your doubts. Take a step deeper. Get to know Jesus better. Make a commitment to be here at church every Sunday. But Then if you do believe in the good news, I want to ask you this. Have you come home to Jesus? You know, the shepherds found their home. Many of us here have found our home. But what about you? Think about that Vietnamese mother who was reunited with her daughter after 44 years apart. Do you know that God invites you to share in that kind of homecoming? Actually, what he has in mind for you is better than that by far, infinitely better. Now, you may feel like you've made a mess of your life, but that's okay. Jesus is in the life-changing business. And you may feel like you've wandered too far, That's okay. 
No soul has gone too far for God to bring back. No heart is too hard for God to soften. If you still have a pulse, God still has a promise for you. And when you come home to him, this is his promise. He promises to be with you every day for the rest of your life. And then after this life is over, he promises to bring you to this ultimate homecoming. Back in Revelation, John describes that ultimate homecoming in heaven. And he writes, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. That's what we're talking about. That's where we all want to be. In just a moment, the band is going to play one more song, and I want you to listen to the words of this song. Think about how God is leading you today. Thank you. 
may you find a light to guide you home. May you find a light. May you find a light. This home series began two weeks ago. And from the beginning of this series, the front of the stage has been covered with boxes, gifts, and presents. And that whole time, the manger was underneath those boxes. It's been there the whole time. And just like this manger, Jesus has been there your whole life. He's been right in front of you. So don't be distracted by all the stuff that surrounds us as Christmas, at Christmas. Don't miss this great truth that Jesus came and made a home with us so that we could make a home with him. If you need to talk to someone about starting a relationship with Jesus, I hope you'll do that before you leave here today. I'll be right over here at the front of this stage. Prayer team will be here with me. And we'd be glad, we would love to talk to you and help you make sure that you are present at that ultimate homecoming. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the God that you are. You are good and perfect and holy. And and we have no right to enter your presence, but I thank you that you have been working throughout history to make it possible for us to be with you forever. So as we celebrate this week, help us to be crystal clear about what it is we're celebrating. It's about the fact that you came to be with us. You want to be with us because you love us. We thank you for that. And Lord, if there's anyone here who has not yet come home to you, I pray that you will speak directly to their heart Give them the boldness to respond to you, to say yes to you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.